Well, as Pastor Brad would say in this moment, um, that wasn't part of the sermon, so you can't start the clock until now. (laughs) But for real, we are, I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that has the ability to have children here and to uh, minister to them, and um, that dedication was very special for us. Um, today, um, if I talk really fast, it's because I get excited, because uh, I love Christmas. Uh, and if you have talked to me ever at all, um, it has probably come up in that conversation, even if it was like in March that you and I met, um, and people make fun of me for it, but it's okay. It's okay. I just, I love Christmas. There's, there's nothing like this time of year uh, leading up to to Christmas Day. Uh, there's nothing like it. It is the pinnacle of my year. It is everything I want. And, and that started really early on in my life. Our family made Christmas a big deal. Not that, it, not that anyone needs to make it a big deal. It's a big deal by itself. But um, it was a big deal for us. And we had a large family, um, extended family. And we saw our family all throughout the year. It wasn't, um, it wasn't like a few times uh, because most um, I would say 90% of the family that I would call family lived within the outer belt of Columbus, Ohio. Like we were in the metro area of Columbus. So like uh, I'd see my cousins every, every weekend at my grandma's house uh, all the time. Uh, but at Christmas, it just felt even more. It felt like it was even bigger. Um, and of course, we had traditions just like you have traditions at Christmas. Uh, but there were some that were more important to me than others and some that I kind of look back on um, in fondness and kind of longing for those, for those days, for the things that I think I used to have. Uh, of course, we would go and we would look at Christmas lights together. And uh, one of my favorite things, and I've probably said this before, and if I've said these stories before, it's because, you know, it's Christmas. So we say a lot of the same stories around Christmas time. So just bear with me. Uh, there's, this, there's this really cool nativity display in downtown Columbus um, that I don't know if it's still there. It may not be. But it was all growing up um, at one of the main buildings down there. They put on this um, these like larger than life statues that you could walk through the story of the nativity and you could walk through and you could read it. And so we would, we would go there and it'd be like five degrees outside and uh, we'd be freezing, but we would, we sure we would walk through, we would look at it. But I think more, you know, more than anything, I remember times I got to spend with my, my parents and my sisters. Uh, my parents didn't have a lot growing up. And so they made sure like Christmas, we didn't ever go for wanting like, um, I can't really remember Christmases where I didn't get that thing that I was wanting. And maybe that's not the best, you know, parenting strategy looking back um, because you had to keep, like, keep doing it. Um, but I never, I never really felt like I needed anything. But those things aren't what I really remember. I don't remember too many gifts um, that I got. And I'm sure that if you look back on your life, you don't remember a lot of the things that were given to you. Maybe a couple here and there. Uh, but for the majority of it, I don't remember that. But what I do remember— it's probably my favorite thing we would do as a family. Um, we were not allowed to come downstairs until my parents were ready for us in the morning. And so my sisters and I would sit at the top of the stairs and wait. And my mom would be there like, with, you know, blocking it. Like, you can't come. We're not ready. We're not ready. Um, until they were. And I mean... My parents were the ones that very often they didn't sleep on Christmas Eve. I could remember times hearing the vacuum running at 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning because my mom, they wanted it to be perfect. They wanted it to look like a movie scene when you walked in. Um, 
And so like they're staying up all night, cleaning the house. And then, um, so we'd finally get to come down. We'd like turn the corner into the living room and we see this pile of presents, way too much for anybody. Uh, but like I said, they just, they tried to go above and beyond what they, they ever could. Uh, and so they would, we would round the corner, but we would not be able to touch anything uh, because what we did first was more important. Uh, my dad, like starting at 4.30 in the morning, would start cooking an enormous breakfast. Um, and we would have a candlelit breakfast before we opened presents uh, every year. And sometimes it was like at 7.30 when like normal people would eat breakfast. And sometimes it was at 5 because my dad worked on Christmas every once in a while. He's a firefighter. But we never... I'm telling you, we never missed that and presence before he went to work. He had to leave by seven. And it was these, this moment where I would sit at the table with my sisters, with my parents, and at our place settings, there was this, a personalized card to each one of us from my dad. My mom got two. She got a funny one and a sappy one. Um, and so like this like 45-minute breakfast, that's what I remember those are things that I, that I miss. Those are traditions that, that, you know, if I think back, I don't think about the gifts. I think about those times. And I think about decorating the house. And if you know me, I'm, I'm the guy that had my Christmas trees up on Halloween. Um, and I said trees because there's multiple of them in my house. Um, but I remember, you know, that was a big deal to us. We decorated, and I mean, the house was, it was decked out. Uh, we were the people that would, the second Christmas music came on the radio, it was 24-7 for that, for that season. Uh, we didn't listen to anything else. And I'm pretty much still like that. And it was that, that music that kind of got us thinking here um, as we were deciding, you know, what, what does God want to talk to us through the season of Advent about? And that music kind of kept coming up and we wanted to be able to talk about this music that envelops all of the Christmas season that really goes beyond the walls of the church like there's something special about this tradition of Christmas music, this thing that, that kind of goes beyond even if you celebrate Christmas because of Jesus or just because it's something that we do, people know Christmas music. And it's one of those things that's sort of stood the test of time. There's no other genre that we would have listened to some of these songs. They're awful. But they have, for some reason, like they still get played at Christmas. They've stood the test of time. Like I think of this, um, the version of... Um, do you see what I see, or do you hear what I hear? What I hear? The one where the rum, rum, right? Like, they, that would never fly in any other genre, but for some reason at Christmas, we, they still play that on the radio. This music has stood the test of time, and, and it's like, what, so what's, what's, the, what's so important about music at Christmas? And so we, we began to talk and think about it, and what we really settled on was that it'd be interesting to kind of look at some of these familiar Christmas carols that we sing, and maybe we don't really think about, but maybe open our eyes and our hearts up to what these words are actually talking about. And so we sang, we sang that song just a few minutes ago, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and, and maybe you've known that song really well, and maybe not. But this song is actually an ancient an ancient song dating back, um, origins of it dating back almost 1,500 years. We can go all the way back to the 8th century and find pieces of this song in church liturgy. A people would, would, it would kind of act as a call and response. The person leading the worship service would say something and then the people, the people would echo, oh come, oh come, Emmanuel. 
And he would say something else, and they would say it again, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. It was a chant. Now, in, in, in history, it was called an antiphon, or, or maybe better translated, an, an anthem for the church. This, this psalm or this anthem that they would say over and over again is this longing expectation that, that God is going to do something, that he's going to come to the rescue. It's officially published in the 1850s uh, by an Anglican priest named John Neal, where he translates it into English. But I love the words of the song because what it does is it really gives a complete theology of salvation and, and God's work to to come for his people. But what's interesting, I think, about it is that it sings it as if the salvation has not happened yet, even though in the 8th century they were a good 800 years removed from the death and resurrection of Christ. But the song doesn't necessarily even lend notice that that has happened. There's this longing, this anticipation that, that God has to do something, has to intervene. So it begins by talking about the exile, the, the, the Israelites who are, who are needing saved. And, and, and this word Emmanuel, which I'm sure you, you might know, but you might not know, um, means simply God with us. All right, and it says that plain in, in scripture. It says that if you've got your notes, you can, you can pull those out. God with us. But what you have to understand is that this is a big deal. It's a big deal for this to be said in the first place. Because up until this moment, God being with, as in like next to or personal, would be very out of, out of bounds for God's people. And what I say that is, is that Dating back to the Garden of Eden, um, when God created everything, he created Adam and Eve, he had a perfect relationship with them, and he walked with them. When sin and selfishness entered into the world, there was something that went in between people and God, and no longer could we be with God. No longer was there this, this, this perfect relationship. There was all of a sudden something in between us, and we actually see this, that this sort of thought process for the people of Israel was that God was something outside of us, which he is, he absolutely is, but, but it was so much that when, when Moses is granted the privilege of seeing God, he comes back down from the mountain to the Israelites and he is glowing and people look at him and they, like, he looks like he'd been in the presence of God. You could tell there was something different. When the Ark of the Covenant is returned to, to Jerusalem, there is rejoicing in the streets. And the Ark of the Covenant is where God's presence rested within the tabernacle. And, and, and so we have this dancing in the streets and, and the Ark slips off of a cart. And, and men go to catch it. And when they do, they die. This presence of God was so great that they couldn't they couldn't, con it, they couldn't come into contact with it. In fact, high priests would go into the Holy of Holies, the place where God's presence dwelt, to atone for the sins of the people. And they would tie a rope around their ankle just in case because it was such a mystery, the presence of God. They were worried that if that person went in unworthy, that they would drop dead. And they didn't want to go in after him 
So they pull him out by a rope. And so there's this, 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 this thick curtain that separates people from God. And so in Matthew, when it says this in Matthew 1, 21 through 23, the angels is speaking. He says, she will give birth to a son. You are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and will give birth to a son. They will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And that phrase in and of itself would have been mind-blowing that God could be with us, that he could be with but it actually wasn't something out of the ordinary. In fact, in the Old Testament, we were gonna talk about that there were times where it, like you obviously got, but, but for the average person, this marked the end of waiting for a prophet to come tell me what God said. This will mark the end of having to have a priest go to God for me because God is now with us. Matthew is careful when he is, when he is writing his gospel. Um, each gospel, there are four of them in scripture. Uh, Matthew is the first, which you'll find in, in your Bible. Matthew writes to a Jewish audience. And so he wants to make it plain to see that, that this God who not only saved the Israelites from Egypt, that saved them from exile, he is, he is here, he is with us. He gives a long account of the lineage of Jesus so that they would understand that this is legitimate, that he is who he says he is. But if you look in John, in the first chapter, it says this, John 1, 14, it says the word, that is Jesus, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. God in human form came to be with his people. To move from maybe um, a sympathy to empathy, to be able to empathize with his people, with the plight of humanity, of, of, of of this world that had been overtaken by selfishness. God with us. But you fast forward 2,000 years to you and me, and maybe sometimes it doesn't feel like God is with us. Maybe you feel like in your life, I, I don't see that. I don't see God with us. Well, I want, I want to give you some truths today from Scripture, and there's three of them. They're pretty easy, and I'm going to say them right now, and you're going to go ahead and fill them in your notes. But I want you to keep paying attention There are three things that we're going to look at today that I want you to know and I want you to take, like to to put into your heart is that God is with you, God was with you, and God will be with you. He is with you, he was with you, and he will be with you. Mary, probably 12 or 12 to 15 years old at the time that the angel comes to her, probably terrified at that moment. Angels are not just like pretty human beings. 
if you look in scripture, they're, they're, they're described pretty well and they, they could be pretty scary looking. Uh, probably 12 to 15 years old and, and the angel comes to her and says, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. This terrifying moment, God is with Mary. I'm not sure what you're going through at the moment. I could probably guess at some of what you're going through at the moment because a lot of us are experiencing a lot of things over the past year and a half. But whatever you are going through at the moment, God is there. God is with you. When you, when you feel alone in this moment, God is a companion when you feel lost, he is a guide. When you are weak, he is strong. If you are sick, he is a healer. If you are hurt, he is hope. If you are in sin, living in sin, he is a savior who has defeated death and sin. 30 years after Jesus is born, he has a group of disciples that are walking around with him as he teaches and heals people and his ministry. And they are out on a boat. And um, storms on this sea in particular, um, they gather very quickly and they, they, they get violent fast. Jesus is sleeping and the disciples are thinking, this is it, we're going to die. And so finally, they are able to wake Jesus up, and he scolds them a little bit for being of little faith. But he then, he stands up, and he calms the wind, and he calms the waves. I don't know what storm you are in right now, but I want you to know that it's better to be in a storm with Jesus than in tranquil seas without him. And that's hard to hear, and I don't want you to hear me say, well, it'll all be okay, and all these things. I, I don't want, to hear, I want you to hear Christian cliches coming from the stage right now. The truth is, is that God is near the brokenhearted, that he sees you where you are, that he will be with you where you are, however long that season has to go. But know that he has the power to calm the seas and he cares about you specifically and you individually. He is there with you. God is with you. But it's hard to see. It's hard to see in the moment. Maybe you're going through something right now. There's like, there's no way that God is with me right now. Well, that second thing was that God was with you. And sometimes it's easier to see his presence in the past than it is in the present. Joseph in the Old Testament, not Jesus' father Joseph, the other Joseph in the Old Testament, um, did a lot of things right in his life. When he was a kid, he might have had a little bit of a mouth and he ran it a little bit. But he, he did a lot of things right. Sold into slavery, was then accused by Potiphar's wife, thrown in jail. A lot of things didn't go right in his life, even though he did a lot of things right in his life. This is what it says in Genesis 39, it says, the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him, and he granted him favor with the prison warden. He was with Joseph. Uh, 
many of you know um, Cheryl Clever. She was our office administrator. She just retired and is at some point today on an airplane to Indiana um, to retire. Uh, we were just kind of having a hallway conversation, which happens a lot in our office, um, where somebody comes out to the hallway, starts talking, and everybody else just kind of pokes their head out of the offices, and we then talk. Uh, and she was just recounting how as, over the last, you know, six, seven years that she's been, she was working here, that she just could, she could just point out all these times that God was moving things. And in the moment, it didn't always feel that way, but in hindsight, she could look back over the time that she spent here of the, these, these moments that God, and I'm sure that you have those, those moments. I think back in my life, that, that God had a way of helping, um, not forcing, but helping to orchestrate things in my life. My parents made the courageous decision to leave everything they had known when I was about in kindergarten. Um, they grew up in a church, but had thought that maybe this isn't going to be something that is going to help our family in the future. And so made the courageous decision to leave all of their friends and leave everything they had ever known to, to find some place that would be good for me and my sisters. That's why I'm so passionate about kids and youth ministry because my parents made that decision to find some, somewhere that would pour into me more than it would pour into her. She sacrificed for me. Had she not done that, I'm like... I can't tell you the kind of domino effect that began in my life because they made that decision to move and to be uncomfortable for us. And then a little bit, little bit later, I was in middle school and I went to the Christian school that was associated with our church, but I really felt like God was calling me to something different. Now, my parents were terrified of letting me leave the Christian school uh, because they had you know, they, they read the news about how bad public schools were, and, um, which is not true. Uh, but they finally relented, and I moved from the Christian school to the public school. And um, it didn't, maybe as a middle schooler, didn't make, I, it's like, well, that's just something we do. It's not necessarily like God orchestrating this massive plan. But had I not done that, had, had that not happened, I probably would not have married Bethany. I probably wouldn't have, you know, had the influence uh, to be able to help lead friends to come to know Jesus. I, I, there's a really good chance that I wouldn't be here today had those things not happened. And maybe you're in a season right now that's just awful, and you're hiding it because you don't want anybody to know. Um, you should, uh, one thing maybe you should know about pastors is that most of us have had some pretty lousy experiences um, in churches. And maybe you're like, I've had a lousy experience in church. Um, so have your pastors. And so we can all be in this together. And if you've been hurt at a church, know that so have I. And that we can be a place that we could both heal. Uh, I lived in South Carolina for about two years and uh, was a pastor at a church there. And it was really not fun. It was not a great experience. And for two years, I was just fighting and, and kicking and, and clawing my way through ministry, trying to do what God had called me to do, but getting fought all along the way. And we can talk about that offline sometime if you'd like to know more. And it was hard to see God then. It was hard. 
But we met Joseph and Jesse, our best friends, while we lived there and while we went to that church. They went to that church too. Joseph and Jesse now live in Clarksville, Tennessee, and they are still our best friends. We don't, we don't get to talk as much as we'd like to. We don't get to see each other as much as we'd like to. But I'm telling you that I don't know where we would be if it weren't for Joseph and Jesse. And as I look back on those two awful years in, in, in my life, I see this hope that God gave me in that, people that would walk through that with me. And had it not been for that, as I look back, I would not have met my mentor, Wayne, who called me then to come pastor with him at a church in Jacksonville. And had it not been for that, I wouldn't be here. And I'm going to tell you, like, it's hard in the moment. So maybe you're going through something right now that is really, really hard. And I'm sure that there are many things represented here and online that something that is not easy to see God is there. What I want to challenge you is to look backwards. Because God was with you. He was with you. He is with you right now. The last point is that God will be. He will be with you. Maybe one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is in Romans eight, and it's this, uh, it's it's sort of like this idealistic future of what what's going to happen in in um, in the future, but also kind of gives us hope for the now. It says this: Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other thing created will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As you kind of gaze on the horizon of your life and the things that are coming, I want you to know that God is going to be with you. Uh, maybe you are a senior in high school and you are looking forward to college. And that's a big deal. Stepping out of the protection of your parents to this new thing that is where you're going to kind of be on your own. God's going to be with you. Or maybe you are expecting a new child at home. And you are scared to death because parenting is the hardest thing you'll ever do. God will be with you. And maybe this Christmas, as you sit around the table, there will be an empty chair for the first time. It will be the first time that you are doing Christmas without that person. Maybe Thanksgiving was the first time that happened to you. God will be with you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing can separate you. I've used this, this story um, in the book of Samuel a few times before, um, but maybe never in a Christmas sermon. As we come to a close today, I want to... I tell you this story. Samuel is a, uh, a judge um, in Israel or prophet in Israel, and he uh, is leading them, and they are scared to death because they, um, 
do not think that they can do what God has called them to do. They do not think they can prevail in this battle. And Samuel has to help them understand that no matter what, God is who he says he is, and he was who he says he was, and he will be who he says he will be. So helping to explain this to, him, to them, Samuel takes a stone. And I don't think it was just like a rock. I think it was a stone. And he places it right in the middle of the road. And he calls it the Ebenezer, my rock of help. And what he says, I think, is really important for you and for me today. As we talk about Emmanuel, God being with us. In 1 Samuel seven twelve, it says, he explains, the Lord has helped us to this point. And that doesn't mean that it's like, okay, he's helped us to now, now it's up to us. No. What Samuel's trying to help the, the Israelites understand is up until this point, God has been with us. We can look back and we can see all the things that God has done. Up to this point, he's helped us. There's no reason, we have no reason to believe he will do anything different in the future. And as you look back on your life and you, you see those God moments that happened, you can see all throughout your life this kind of golden thread of Jesus working things I'm telling you that up to this point, God has been with you. There's no reason to believe that he won't. You have no precedent to believe that he's going to drop off and say you're on your own. And so maybe the question isn't, is God with us? Is God with me? Where is God? I think maybe the better question is, are you with God? Maybe it isn't asking, is God there? It's where are you? Where are you in those times that you feel like God is so distant? Are you with God? That verse in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, I think is important. I know that this last, these last, I only get to preach four to five times a year, but I feel like every time I do, I have to come up and say, man, COVID, still here. We're still talking about it. These last 20 months have been really difficult for many reasons. And maybe you feel like you are in despair. But it says this in that song, Oh, come thou day spring, come and cheer. Our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night. And death's dark shadow put to flight. Rejoice. Rejoice. Emmanuel will come to thee, O Israel. What you're going through right now is real. And you may feel like he isn't there. And maybe you feel like you're in that gloomy cloud of night. You are in despair. What I can say is that he's on his way. He is there. So maybe we need to ask ourselves, are we able to recognize that he's there?
Those moments that God was doing all throughout your life, you don't have to wait until they're in the past to recognize them. God is trying to break through to you every day. Every day he's trying to break through into your life. Will you pause and recognize that he is not some God that is far away, but that he is, he is God with you. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful. Thankful that you are with us. That you have made that journey from sympathy to empathy. That you know what we go through. God, we pray that you would help us to remember what you have done for us. Would you help us to live in the promise that you are right here and the promise that you will continue to be with us? God, would you help us to recognize that? Would you help us to see? We are so blinded sometimes by the things that are in front of us, by the situations that have a hold of us, that we are not able to see what you are doing. God, would you make it plain? And as we come into this season where we anticipate your coming. Would you make that real to us? Would you be with us? We pray these things in your name. Amen. As you go today, I want you to go resting in the promise, the knowledge that God is with you, God was with you, and he will be with you. Be blessed.